Today on Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we are looking at a complicated, complex song. Not complicated and complex in the sense that the lyrics are overly intellectual or saying anything. It's a song that has done a great deal of good, but is not a terribly good song. And in keeping with our last year's episode on simply having a wonderful Christmas time, I think you're going to find Frank and Bill on different ends of the spectrum on this one. I love Do They Know It's Christmas by Band-Aid. And I don't think I've listened to it all the way through in over 20 years until this week when I was preparing to uh, do my research for this song. To quote Dwayne The Rock Johnson from Moana, you're welcome. Because <laughs> no one else has said you're welcome in the whole history of, of cinema or anything, right? No, not as well as The Rock has. Gotcha. So... I'm glad we finally got you to listen to this song. Yeah. And so we're going back all the way to 1984, where this is a year that is marked by probably some anxiety because of the George Orwell novel. I was always wondering, like, did George Orwell write 1984 in 1984, or is it just like a story about the year? I think it's like, that's the year where everything falls apart. Well, yeah, that's that's the year when The Terminator came out. Well, that's it. So, if George Orwell knew The Terminator was coming, he'd be far more terrified yeah. than whatever it is he wrote. Did you like 1984? Um, considering that I don't know if it's just a, uh anthology of what happened that year or not, uh, I'm going to say, no, I haven't read it. Okay. Well, I, I don't recommend reading it. Gotcha. I, I, I think you could do it. I'm not a big fan of George Orwell's yeah. style. I'm going to read 2022. I would just recommend reading the lyrics to this song. Yeah. Well, you can if you want. <laughs> so 1984 is maybe our favorite year of music from the 80s. At least for this year of recording, we've done several songs from 1984. We've yes. done our Academy Awards special. Yeah. And we've just hit on these songs over and over again. So... With Do They Know It's Christmas coming out, Last Christmas is also out the same month. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's just an incredible year for music. Yeah. And, well, Christmas music, I guess you could say too, right? Oh, yeah. And I love Christmas music. Yeah. And I love Christmas and Christmas music, and I love just open-hearted earnestness. And we got lots of that in spades, as they say. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a good way to bring up our favorite Christmas movie, Ernest Saves Christmas, because of all the earnestness, right? <laughs> That's two earnest references within a, within a month span. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, so let's talk through this complicated history. Nah, it's not complicated. I don't think that, well, the history isn't necessarily complicated, and I'm, I'm sure People have heard the, the story of how the song initially came together, and, and we're going to dive into some of the more interesting stories that came from the uh, the recording sessions and, and, and stuff like that, and some of the interpersonal sort of uh, conflicts and, and uh, what happened there. Yeah, so it would have been in the, the fall of 1984 
That's right. October 1984, Bob Geldof, I think it's late October, maybe on 25th or something like that. Mm-hmm. Bob Geldof is watching the BBC News, as rock stars often do, and he sees this special on Ethiopia, on the famine in Ethiopia. This is how they opened the BBC News that day, and it rocked him so hard that he felt he needed to do more than just donate money. He needed to do something bigger. And so, the next day, he calls up Midjure. Yeah. Now, Bob Geldof is, is uh, from the post-punk group, the Boomtown Rats. Yeah. And he's got the one major song, I Don't Like Mondays. Yes. About a school shooting. Yeah. Tough one. Yeah. And then Midjure is in a band called Ultravox. Yeah. Which is really cool. They got a song called Vienna that's just really yeah. neat. Like, I was just listening to it, and it doesn't feel anything like this song to me. I love this song, but but Ultravox is is a pretty cool band. So, anyways, Midjure isn't mentioned a lot in the sort of uh, discussions around this song, but he has as much to do with this song as Bob Geldof. As Bob Geldof. So, yeah. you know the story about Midge's name, though, correct? Yes. So his real name is James Ure, but short form for James is Jim, and pronounced Jim backwards is Midge. So there's that, I guess. I don't know. That's something, right? That's well, an interesting story. Does everyone else know that? I I, I read that in. Uh, I guess you 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 went down the rabbit hole a little bit to see that. Yeah, I clicked on his Wikipedia. Me too. That's what, that, that, was my rab- that's that was my rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. Well, if you're hidden in a hyperlink, it's already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also cleverly wrote down that both have names that are pronounced backwards. Because if you know, Bob actually went with the backwards. Pronunciation Bob, yeah. Which is Bob. Yeah, it was very postmodern at the time. Yeah. A punk thing to do. He's got this sort of punk spirit still. Bob Geldof is apparently a um, grouchy young man at that point. I think he's in his... Maybe his early 30s or late 20s, early 30s, but he's a pretty grouchy guy. I think he told a lot of them to F off. Yeah. This was famously, but Bono came in and said, hey, you wrote a hymn, F off. (laughs) Boy, George came in and asked for brandy. He goes, F off. (laughs) Go to the pub across the street. And so, in some ways, I'm like, why you got to be like that? And then the other side of me is like, good for you. (laughs) Tell these rock stars to like... Go buy their own alcohol. But he's doing this big charitable thing, and he's just yeah. like, screw you all. Yeah. So, I mean, to his credit, I mean, so Midjure, sounds like Midjure is like, he encourages Bob Geldof to write a Christmas song, an original, that mm-hmm. the two of them will write together. Yeah. So, that's what Midjure does, and then they work on one together, and then Bob Geldof starts cold calling people. And so I think the key thing is they got Simon LeBon from Duran Duran. Yeah. And once that happened, they were able to pull in the guy from Spando Ballet because all these people have these competitive things going on. The big deal in the UK is about that Christmas number one. Yes. And so there's a, and there's a lot of infighting, I guess, amongst them. They weren't all friends. This is a thing that they discussed that they just weren't really all friends. So there's a competitive thing going on. But he got every... Pretty much everybody he called was in. And that's an incredible thing. And I think he's so passionate about what he saw on that program that he was able to bring people in. Yeah. So I have written down here. I'm so impressed with it. I, I don't know if I should wait till later to make sure it lands even better. But here's what I have written. I said, 
this whole song and this whole movement is about the power of journalism. So had it not been for that special, that that special report on BBC News, none of this would happen. And this is about a reporter going in and purposely making sure that he tells a story the way he wants to. And he said he wanted to make sure it wasn't super emotional over it, the, the, the reporter who did yeah. it. Instead, he said, I'm just going to give the facts and show them pictures, and that will move them. And he was right, and totally moved them. Now, there's a whole bunch of other things we might get into. The Ethiopian thing, the whole problem, of course, is that the famine's not just caused by it not raining. Yeah. Right? It's, it's not just drought. There's a lot of government and uh, military sort of yeah. factors that are playing into this as well. And there's also aspects of some of you know these countries that are singing on behalf of Ethiopia who haven't helped the cause by no. funding groups. And so you have lots of different civil wars going on in Ethiopia, and it's a complicated mess, as is every sort of humanitarian problem is a complicated mess. So once yeah. you get to the ground floor of trying to help out a country or people, there will be decisions you need to make and it will never be perfect. And oh. this is, I just want to put this out there because there's people who just slag this. This is the best he can do with his limited knowledge and his place in history. Yeah. And so I give Bob Geldof and Majur a ton of credit for this, even if it doesn't turn out the way they want. Yeah, and... Like I said, I have a complicated history with this song because it did a ton of good. And I'm incredibly supportive of the work that they have done and the money that they have raised. And the other incarnations of this song, uh, how they have have raised uh, money for good causes. I just don't think the song's a good song. Well, this is what we're going to come down to. So, song history. There's so, you, there are so many documentaries. I will link those in the show notes if anyone actually reads them yeah and you know to access the show notes is just to go into your app take a look at where the descriptor is and just scroll and those things that are underlined and in a different color just tap them with your finger yep or with your mouse if you're on your computer that's right so i watched a bunch of documentaries and learned way more than i needed to but it was fascinating yeah so we got a lot of characters coming in and there's a lot of 80s-ness here but also very british thing so we have we are the world is going to come out a few months later and that's its own sort of thing which we will get to i'm sure but these sort of british rockers are showing up on a sunday no one's sure who's showing up because it's the saturday night before who knows how hard they were partying. Some of them partied pretty hard because they were hungover. Yeah. And the way to get over hangover... And this was is to a, keep drinking. Oh, this is ridiculous. That's so not true. I just don't think... That's not true, is it? That's not... That can't be true. I don't know. If I have a bit too much to drink the night before, I usually curl up, watch a sad movie, and go over all my life's choices that brought me to that point <laughs> right. in time and, and cry a little bit. When you're a 1980s UK rock star, you don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so in walk all these rock stars, right? So and in various states. So yeah, Duran Duran look like rock stars, 
Bono's got a mullet. Oh, he's that, got that fantastic 80s mullet. Yeah, he's so ashamed of. Yeah. And then you have Banana Ramish coming out of a car, not even a limo. All these other people came in limos. They got dropped off by their manager. And they're wearing like jumpers and jogging pants. Yeah. And looking bleary-eyed. And in an interview, they said, had we known there was going to be all these reporters, we would at least try to like put on better clothes yeah, or something sober up or something yeah so that, i mean they're in the forefront in the chorus part but they don't sing any parts yeah they don't have any verses like they don't have their own individual lines they said if they were asked they probably would have said no yeah and so they might have been asked they don't even remember what went on that day <laughs> so there's a whole cast of characters that are just um you know there's varying degrees of their own sort of knowledge of the situation. So you can see that in the documentaries where some were just more excited that Phil Collins was there. Yeah. And Phil Collins is only coming off of his, like, let's see, it's 1984. So he's just coming into, like, peak Phil Collins. Yeah. He's not quite there because Easy Lover hasn't come out yet. No. And neither has Against All Odds. So he's just coming off of his second solo album. Mm -hmm. But they know him from Genesis. And so he's the old guy, which... At his age, he was like 33. Yeah. He's the old guy. And he comes walking in with a brown vest, brown pants or whatever. And he looks like a dad, but like a, like just, and he even talked about it. He goes, I had some wardrobe issues then. And then he said, I still have wardrobe issues today in the interview. <laughs> so he's always Phil Collins. Yeah. Yeah. I read an article uh, that said when Geldof initially came up with this idea, his initial plan or idea was to, you know, have this charity song out there, but to raise 70,000 pounds. And I think at the first year, it, it raised $14 million, which is crazy. Yeah. But I also think that had he invited all those people in and they all like just dug into their pockets, they easily could have had that 70,000 pounds. Oh, yeah. No problem. <laughs> yeah. And the reason they chose to do an original song was because if they had picked a song that was known, they'd have to, like, pay out royalties, possibly. Yeah. And so, the song you get, it's interesting. When I heard about how it was put together, it made sense to me. When I was a kid, it felt like there was two parts to it. I Like, the chorus is this big, long chorus that ends the song. Yeah. And then these verses are at the beginning. Mm -hmm. The reason is, Bob Geldof wrote that beginning... And it was like a song he had kind of had for the Boomtown Rats, but hadn't finished it. Yeah. And so, he tweaked it into a Christmas song. And Major is the ending with the Feed the World. Okay. That's his. Okay. And so, even listening to the song, they blend, but they're different They're very enough. different, yeah. And I also read, uh, so Bob Geldof pitched the idea of this song to the Boomtown Rats, and they said like, nah, we don't think so. Yeah, there's very varying versions of it. I'm not sure what's true, but yeah, the, I mean, had they done it, it wouldn't have worked. No. You no, needed no, no, no. this to be done by those people at that exact moment it in time. It needed to be as big as it was and and uh, have as, as much sort of star power behind it yeah. as, as it did. Well, the crazy thing is it's November 25th. That's the day they record it. Yeah. They have one day to record it and mix it, which is unheard of in music history up to that point from what i know for something that big yeah because it was released on december the 3rd in the uk that's right that's when it came out to be bought but i, I think it might have been put on the radio even the next day like that showed crazy. up he showed up on <laughs> bonkers it's, like, it's crazy so he brought in all these people 
they had never heard the song before. The only people yeah. who had heard it were Sting and Simon LeBon from Duran Duran because yeah. they did some guide vocal stuff before at yeah. Majeur's house. Majeur did a guide vocal. So each were coming in trying to figure out the song. So when you watch the video, they're fi- they're trying to figure out that song. Yeah. And so he's telling them how to sing it and they're just going for it. And so it starts in the morning and runs until the next morning. Yeah. So they think they all leave probably by midnight, but Bob Geldof and Midjure, but especially Midjure from what I gather, are working all through the night and splicing this together, mixing it together. It is bonkers that they pulled it off. It is a Christmas miracle that they pulled the song off. Yeah. Whether people like the song or not is that this song, for what it was, was done within a 24-hour period. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's nuts. And also, like, Geldof gets a ton of credit for it, and he deserves a lot of credit. Like, he was he was the brainchild behind it. But Mitch here, like, I, I think equal credit needs to go his way as well. Yeah. I mean, the song you hear and how great it sounds has a lot to do with him. And he kept kicking Bob Geldof out of the <laughs> production suite. So Geldof is Crotchety the one. the old Bob is getting yeah. kicked out. Yeah. I think Geldof is the whip. But Majeur is the sort of like, he's the editor, he's the producer, he's yep. doing the work. There was one other person who kind of came in to try to do production because Trevor Horn, who we've talked about before yeah. as a producer, he's in there. So if you watch the video, there's this guy with like really, really thick glasses trying to talk to people and trying to get them to sing. That's Trevor Horn. Mm-hmm. He gave his studio to them for free. And they'd asked him to produce it, and he said he wasn't able to. But then he shows up, and he's trying to get them to sing. He's the guy from Video Killed the Radio Star. Oh, from, from the, the, the Buggles. Buggles. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. the guy. Oh, so, geez. when you see the guy with the thick glasses, yeah, yeah. that's actually him. Oh, geez. So, okay. he had this vision of them doing this round of Feed the World, and it sounded beautiful, but they couldn't pull it off. And I think yeah. part of the reason was a lot of these guys were getting wasted as the day went on. Yeah. It's like trying to get... A bunch of cats together. Yeah. And they're just like, you couldn't do it. Yeah. When you watch the video, they have the whole Feed the World thing at the end where they're singing it. Mm-hmm. But they started with that. That was the first thing they oh, recorded. Really? And so, I have this feeling. I don't... They, you can't see it on the videos that I think as the day went on, they got more difficult to um, keep together. And I think there's a lot of wine and a lot of other stuff flowing. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the other stuff flowing? Someone, someone brought a bag of cocaine. Oh, serious? So these guys in status quo, these two guys in status quo. They're not even on the on the song. They're singing in the museum okay. in the crowd. And so they were supposed to do the here's to you, raise a glass for everyone. Yeah. But they sound horrific. So if you watch the documentary, they, they couldn't nail the vocal. Yeah. And apparently only one of the guys in status quo really did the singing on in studio. Yeah. And the other guy never did. Oh, okay. And so they couldn't pull it off on the day, but they were so wasted. Oh, and they geez. brought like a bag of cocaine in. Yeah. So what? I don't even know who's doing what, but that's insane. Yeah. So that was one of the things going on. That there's bottles of wine that are just getting emptied. And so I had this feeling like there's a look on Geldof's face where he's just exasperated. Yeah. So there's the negative side. Yeah. Okay. We're going to get to the song, but we're going to talk about these positive stories. Yeah. There's our like ultimate MVP. Is this the Boy George story? Well, he kind of is the MVP of the yeah. song, isn't he? Yeah. Because he's the biggest singer 
in the UK, I think, at that moment. Yeah, the Culture Club uh, was was huge at the time. Huge. And so, it was a really big deal to get Boy George in there. Mm-hmm. But there was a problem. Well, he was in New York. You forgot. Yeah. So, so yeah, the story goes that, like, here he is. Like, it's it, So, there's a six-hour time difference between New York and London. And uh, I don't even know what time it was in New York, but uh, Geldof gets on the phone and gets a hold of him somehow. And this is, obviously, this is 84. This is predating cell phones or anything like that. So whatever hotel or apartment or wherever Boy George is, is staying that night, Geldof gets gets him on the line and says, it's like, where are you? You're supposed to be here. We're, we're recording today. And he's just, oh, that's today? It's like, get on a Concord and get over here, which is like one of the most 80s things that I've ever heard. There, there's also a line that, sorry, I, I I digress a little bit. We'll we'll jump back to this. Well, no, we'll, we'll just say, so Boy George gets on a Concord, flies over to Europe, because I think the, fl- uh, the Concord just flew between New York and, and Paris, right? So he gets to Paris and then flies from Paris to London, I guess. I don't know. Oh, wow. I just assumed it was straight to London. I, I thought uh, maybe the Concorde. I don't know. Is there a pilot from the 80s that can correct us on this? I'm not sure. There's also a, a quote here that Bob Geldof gives, and it's, uh, to me, the 80s were characterized by overwhelming generosity and kindness. The 80s were full of greed and capitalism. Yeah, this is the crazy thing. So in the midst of it, he's seeing this, and we're also seeing this other side. And so yeah. I guess there are these two parts going on there. There's a dichotomy, yeah. but I, I, I think I think that the world that Geldof is living in, like in sort of the quote-unquote arts world, is a little more generous yeah. and, and, and charitable. But I also think they're very... What's the word? They're I'm self-centered, looking? and there's yeah. a sort of level of debauchery in the midst of a famine, where someone grabs a bag of cocaine and is yeah. doing it there. Now, that's not to say Geldof or Boy George was doing it then, but there's just like you got a group of people who are so self-centered, they're able to get them yeah. to put something together. To Boy George's credit, he nails this vocal. Oh yeah! But if you watch the documentary, he sounds raspy. He asked for brandy, and Geldof lost his mind and said, "We don't have a catered. We don't have a caterer. Go to the pub across the street." But apparently, brandy helps the throat. Okay, yeah. So they got him a bottle of brandy, drinks, t- takes a swig of it, and then he nails this vocal. And the vocal is super powerful. Yeah, it, and it works so well. When you were sick, maybe we should have had you drink from a bottle of brandy. That could have made for easier episodes. Yeah, or at least definitely looser. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then one more person who we're going to give MVP awards to is Phil Collins, who oh, yeah. shows up early in the day wearing his brown vest, wearing gets, his dad suit, definitely getting made fun of by the others. Yeah. Who just and he talked about it how they all kind of looked down on him a little bit. He's the older guy. They thought he was out of touch and all these things. And he uh, he patiently waits all day. And every time someone does a vocals, he goes up and says, can I drum now? And they say, no. Can I drum now? No. <laughs> oh, poor Phil. So he's there at some time in the morning. And finally at 6.30, they put him in front of the drums. And he does two sessions of it. He does the whole thing in a half an hour. And the first one, 
he Major is fine with it, right? Yeah, he says like, no, that's good. You don't have yeah. to do it again. But Phil Collins said, I hit the drums too loudly. And he said in an interview, he goes, if I don't like the sound of them, I just hit them louder. This is what drummers do. You hit them loud enough, they're going to sound fine. So he goes back, does it a second time and nails it. And, yeah. na- and he's such a pro and he's so good because they had the drum machine going, which Phil Collins, of course, loves drum machines. Yeah. But he wanted to do live drumming. They were unsure about it. But he pulls it off. And it does really make the song. That drums makes the song. Yeah. And all those other people who are kind of thumbing their nose a bit at him and making fun were quiet. And they yeah. just saw a pro pull it off. A pro going about doing his business. That's right. Phil Collins just getting it done. Okay. Is it time to talk lyrics? Well, let, let's talk are a we little bit more? more about the song. Yeah. Do we okay. want to talk about the song? Because right. the, the opening of the song is, um, and again, re-listening to it, and it's been so long since I've actually listened to the entire thing. It starts off with that, uh, well, there's that that drum and the bells. Yeah. And it sounds like, <laughs> it sounds like the music from like the dramatic scene in a war movie. Totally. I love it. I didn't realize how cinematic it sounded. It, it's very big and very cinematic. Yeah, that's exactly the word that that uh, that it is. This is the Ultravox thing. This yeah. is the Trevor Ure thing. And that makes the song, that feeling of being part of something way bigger than yourself permeates yeah. a song. Just this one time. Yeah. This version of Do They Know It's Christmas. Yeah. incredible what a start yeah and then they then they they break into uh the lyrics and then it starts off with paul young and and i am incredibly surprised that we haven't covered a paul young song yet oh it's coming yeah is it every time you go away yeah oh yeah and now take a little piece of me with you yeah and that's all he's really had out he's a young guy who is kind of untested he felt he was out of place but they made the right choice because it's perfect voice. But do you know who was originally supposed to sing it, according to certain rumors? No. David Bowie. Oh. And if you think about it, it fits. And he did sing it at Live Aid. Yeah. But Paul Young is the right choice. And in a lot of ways, Paul Young is, I want to use the term linchpin, even though I barely know what it means. <laughs> He's the linchpin. He's the linchpin of the group. Yeah. He's the one holding it together. He is, because it starts with his voice, and he's going to come up later when he raises a glass for everyone. That's Paul Young. Yeah. So not, it does come back Not the guys from him. Status Quo. Not the guys. No. They, they don't. Yeah, not the guys from Status Quo. My goodness. So uh, Paul Young begins with, it's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. At Christmas time, we let in light and we banish shade. Which is a very positive start. Here's yeah. what Christmas is. And then, of course, Boy George comes in. And it's such a killer vocal, right? And in our world of plenty, we can spread a smile of joy. Throw your arms around the world at Christmas time. It's Christmas time. There's no need to be afraid. At Christmas time. Let in light and we 
there is that classic sentiment. Yeah. Like, it's Christmas. Let's do things for people. Everyone love everyone. Yeah. And it's always that this version of Christmas is a very secular Christmas. Yeah. But it's a sort of Christmas where the like there's a recognition that there's something special about this where we stop and we try to care about other people. We we think about them. Mm-hmm. All right. So now George Michael. But say a prayer. Pray for the other ones. At Christmas time, it's hard. But when you're having fun, that's Duran Duran coming in there. Yeah. Simon Laban. Can I just sort of interject a yeah. little something? Yeah. And this is so so far we've we've given two MVPs out to to Boy yeah. George for getting on that Concord yeah, yeah. in the most eighties thing ever, <laughs> and to Phil Collins for sitting through the entire day, and then finally uh, recording his drums. Third MVP, I think, is George Michael. Well, and the guys from Wham because they recorded last Christmas, and all the proceeds that that song made went to Geldof and and for his uh for his charity. Yeah, there you go. Another MVP. So the stars, if he if this was at an NHL game, yeah. they would bring these three out. Yeah. All right. So now you got Sting and Simon Levon. There's a world outside your window and it's a world of dread and fear. So this is the sort of shift. Yeah, it gets really dark. Yeah. Spando Ballet comes in here where the only water flowing is the bitter sting of tears. Like, this is not a Christmassy song at no. this point. <laughs> Bono, Sting, and maybe the guy from Duran Duran. And the Christmas bells that ring, there are the clanging chimes of doom. So, I mean, what a shift, but it feels more <laughs> it like... It just turned into a, a J.R. Tolkien novel here. Totally. You know, I think you and I disagree. I really love these lines because I think I've just grown up with them. Where the idea of a world outside your window and a world of dread and fear, like, at least as a kid in the 80s, I had this sense that there's something dangerous out there. I mean, well, yeah, the commies. Well, the Terminator was out there. Yeah. It was 1984, right? So, but there really was a... And all those animals in that animal farm. <laughs> yeah. But there was a terror of the world. And we were in the midst of, like, we're in cold war yeah and these famines are horrible yeah had i even known that there's these civil wars and governments doing it it's even worse exactly they are killing people the humans are doing this so i feel he's right and then it comes to the line and this is going to be controversial between you and i because often off mike we make fun of bono but both you and I, despite our, like, rolling our eyes at Bono, have both gone to see U2 in concert. Yeah. Both probably own more U2 albums than most people do. Yeah, I own a number of them, yes. Yeah. And this line is the gut punch of the song. Well, and I understand what they're trying to yeah. do with it, but my biggest criticism... Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into the line here. Yeah. And it's, 
Well, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you. And the way Bono sings it, because he just rips it, right? Like he he, does. He, there's, there's not any holding back. He's going full Bono yeah. on this, and he's singing this with passion. He said he was trying to be Bruce Springsteen. That was why it was so loud. And he criticized, and he didn't like his vocal. He says it's terrible. Yeah. I love the vocal. I like early Bono, and I like the earnestness. So I will take that over... His uh, Band-Aid 20 and Band-Aid 30 performances. Yeah, okay. He wanted to be subtle. Nah, you got to go for it. You got to go full Bono if you're going to go Bono. And he doesn't want to sing it. And he is uh, says to Bob Geldof, give me any other line. Just please don't give me that line. And and I understand what the intention of the line is. It's supposed to make you feel guilty, right? And I get it, but (sighs) there's just something that's ironic, but not in a good way about a rock star celebrity who has so, so much guilting everyday people into, you know, feeling bad about not giving enough. Yeah. And I, and I know that these guys give, and I know that these guys have their philanthropic sort of endeavors, but like, they're not living like you and I are. Yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. I mean, I... I have different feelings about it, especially more than I watched these documentaries and found out more about what was going on there. It's hard to feel quite as open-hearted to some yes. of the things. However, for all of Bono's annoying traits, to some degree, it's just because he's been around so long, we could yeah. be annoyed with him. And he's, that's, that's to his credit. He's, and the fact that he's saying on every single version of this song. He just keeps showing up. <laughs> He'll show up every time this is playing. So, to his credit, he knows there's something off with this and Bob Geldof is like no this is the most important part and then Bono said recently he was too young to be able to respond with no this is the most important part for you and you know fair enough however to me with how this song is how it's written the whole feel of it this line works and it works really well because it is a centerpiece because it jars the listener. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I'm like, did he just say, thank God it's them instead of you? Must mean something else. Yeah, but, what a jerk. But it is true when we say, oh, we're so lucky to live here. Yeah. Right? When you see people suffering or whatever, people often say, oh, we're really lucky we, we're here. But the flip side of those prayers, sometimes, oh, thank God we're here. Yeah. But- what really people are saying is, thank God it's them and not me, which yeah. is this sort of dark twist, but it really does sort of flip the 80s around. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's almost like drives a stake through some of that 80s excess, and it does guilt you. But, I mean, Geldof would probably say, good, whatever it takes, take out your money, buy this album, give, do whatever it takes. Yeah. And so I feel like that line works really well. And when they tried to change it, which was on the Band-Aid 2014, mm-hmm. we're reaching out to you, like, shut up. Yeah, That's not it, it. You're just glad you're not them. Yeah. And it, poor Bono it, says it every time. Yeah. <laughs> well, he just shows up, right? Just like, I, I'm here for my line, guys. Oh, man. I think the line works. I know people are upset about it, but I, the more I listen to it, it's like, that's it. And when you hear that, it alters the viewer because now you become part of the you're not part of the problem but you are you can't look away the same way anymore yeah
But after that goes the most problematic parts. Oh, for, yeah. The most uh, geographically challenged. Yeah. However, to be fair to Geldof, his line was, there won't be snow in Ethiopia this Christmas time. And Mijura said, he has no sense of rhythm. <laughs> Ethiopia will never work. It has to be Africa. He's like, no, but that's not it. No, you have to put Africa because it sounds better. Yeah. Now, it does sound better. However, you know... Uh, there are snow in portions of Africa. Like there the are. mountains and all that. And you know what? Toto already blessed the rains in Africa. Yeah. So, it's not everywhere. However, for the sake of the song, I'm okay with the geographical challenges here. But we might as well walk through them here. We got... I think it's Paul well- Weller. And there won't be snow in Africa this Christmas time. The greatest gift they'll get this year is life. Boy George says, oh. Yeah. And he goes further, where nothing ever grows, nor rain, nor rivers flow. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? That's the first time we get to hear the title of the song. Yeah. I think the whole nothing ever grows, nor rain, nor rivers flow. Mm-hmm. If I'm Geldof, I guess I'd be saying, you know what? I'm just going for it. I want your money. So I'm going to tell you a story that might not be totally true. Because rain and rivers do flow. Yeah. But looking at the scenes... Of the famine is so horrific, yeah, that you could just paint a big brush because you're in such shock. And I think they're talking this specific portion of Ethiopia where the famine is happening. Yeah. But now everyone's thinking bigger Africa. Yeah. The country of Africa, right? When you say country of Africa, I know exactly what you mean. Because we thought of it this way. And it is a thing about sort of Western nations who've colonized a place and who are now looking at it in shock at how bad it's gotten. And then there's even underneath it this criticism of, look, the you know blaming them for this right that we're not taking responsibility yeah so i get that too and i asked our friend andrew panakis professor of english Mm -hmm. to give his analysis and he actually did send a thing well i was expecting him to criticize it oh more but he didn't oh really he said there's sort of a tenderness to this and even though there's like all these it's very problematic and it's colonially problematic but there's also something about these people trying yeah and that is what i love about the song is they really are trying well i'll give them that and looking at it there is an earnestness again Mm -hmm. about this and and i can appreciate this the the lyrics are just so bleak and glum and it's just oh oh, this is not uh and again rock stars telling me that i need to give i i'm i'm just uh, problematic is 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 the word that i come across often (laughs) it's fair i mean maybe we could say bono didn't have as much money as he did three years later yeah (laughs) so somebody's saying that there's also um just a side note here big deal about selling the record was that every pound you put in went to ethiopia yeah however there was still this tax that was on it 
Bob Geldof was so angry that there was this tax that the government put on them that he took Margaret Thatcher to task on camera about it. And she like snapped back at him saying, well, we got to get tax money has to come somewhere. And don't you know what it does? And then he snapped back. Like there was like a back and forth. And in the end, the British government donated all of whatever they made in the tax to the fund. Oh, wow. So Geldof wins again. Rock stars making a difference. Making a difference. And I mean, after this, Geldof, I don't think he did any more songs. He did come sing in our city like maybe about a decade ago. Did he? Yeah. In St. Catharines? Yeah, Brock at the university. Yeah. But we didn't go. All right, so we're coming to the end of the Geldof section, where we have Marilyn and Glenn Gregory. Now, they don't register in my memory at all. No. And I thought Marilyn would be a woman, but it turns out it's not a woman. And when Geldof called Boy George to complain that he wasn't there, he said, Marilyn's already here. And then Boy George is like, of course Marilyn would be there. So apparently Marilyn, he wasn't invited. Marilyn just showed up. And so, Marilyn and Glenn Gregory, who do the part that status quo could not get through, here's yeah. to you, and then everyone else. Actually, here's to you, and then Paul Young responds to raise a glass for everyone. Here's to them, underneath that burning sun, do they know it's Christmas time at all? So there is a Geldof section. There is the second time we hear Do They Know It's Christmas? And yep. that is the only other time we hear the title of the song. Yep. And now we go to Midge's part. Well, yeah. This is the part of the song that everyone knows and, and, and is waiting for. It's the, the feed the world. Yeah. Let them know it's Christmas time. Oh, yeah. And the you got the bells. You got the synth. Yeah. And it, this is this is all the emotion and all the music and all the vocals and everything just sort of crescendoing together. I love it. I love it. I love it every time I hear it. And as they're saying, feed the world, they then say, let them know it's Christmas time again. I love that they combine those two, that knowing it's Christmas time is charity. Mm-hmm. And that is almost Dickensian. It's not almost, it's totally Dickensian. This is what Scrooge needed to do. And so this kind of follows through in a a sort of famous, uh, you know, English lineage of discussing Christmas. Feed the world, let them know it's Christmas time. To me, it's like super moving. And the the music is, is lifting you up. And so you've just gone through the burning sun and rivers and not flowing and all this but that ending and it just goes and goes yeah and it must be the last half of the song yeah it's perfect to me i don't know about to you frank are you You i feel like the more turning over the more i'm talking about this song the more i am appreciating it okay victories upon victories (laughs) i still Um, don't know if i love it right I can appreciate it. Yeah. I love Phil Collins drumming in this. I can't just say again, I had uh, 
written down. Um, and that's not like you to like Phil Collins. I know. It's, it seems strange for me. Yeah. It, it just, just hearing his drumming kick in always yeah. makes me happy. Watching the video and Phil Collins playing, I just feel in so proud. In his dad suit. In his dad suit. I'm like, I could be that guy. I kind of am that guy. There's not a lot to talk about for the videos. The guy yeah. who filmed it said that this was his, like, probably the greatest moment of his career and he needed to relish in it because you have all these rock stars in one place at one time. Yeah, because it was just basically a making of, like, it was them showing up and then just them singing in the studio. Like, that That was the basically the video, right? Yeah, and... I mean, it is kind of neat because they're showing yeah. up on a Sunday morning, maybe hungover, maybe not, yeah. and they're all going into one bathroom to try to look better, Yeah, and they all come out. And so, you get to see them as they are. You get to see Boy George jet-lagged yeah. right at, right at the so beginning. So just you, needing a shot of brandy so right. he can sing. And he nails it. He does yeah. it. And then you see all, you see the guys in status quo out there singing along, and you don't realize they're, they're about ready to bring the party at the exact wrong moment. Yeah. Categories? Yeah. yeah. Let's jump into some categories. All right. Okay, I'm going to start with one I got written down here. Why don't any of these covers work? I think one or two might work, but most of them are terrible. I, I think, tough to say exactly, but this was captured in, in a specific period of time where I feel that there was more, and this is a, could be the theme of the of the episode, but there is more earnestness yeah, amongst the singers. I do love the internal competition between them. I think it's hilarious as yeah. well. But I think there's a little less creativity in the other versions. Like yeah. it, it's like a um it's like just doing remakes of uh, of movies and everything. It's just like, ah, oh, let's not think about it. Let's just do the same old thing. Yeah. And everyone else coming into this song. For there's at least three others from there's Band Aid Two in 1989, produced by Stock Aitken Waterman. Yeah, which sounds like it was produced by Stock, Stock Aitken Aitken Waterman. Yeah. Then there was Band Aid Twenty, which yeah. was 2004. Then Band Aid Thirty, 2014. Yeah. All these people coming in already know the song, so yeah. they're coming in ready. Yeah. None of these people came in ready, yeah, except was, for Sting. Yeah, it was pretty raw. Yeah, and so you have that factor. And in all the other ones, you don't have the biggest stars. You have a couple big ones, but you don't have everybody. This yeah. one had seemingly everybody who was available. Well, I have the uh, the the Wikipedia page here, and let's just go through the uh, the artists who are on this. And this is in it's kind of in alphabetical order, but yeah. not really. Yeah, Robert Cool Bell from Cool and the Gang, and, and let's we didn't even yeah. talk about Cool and the Gang. So all the artists on this song are from the UK. Except. Except for Cool and the Gang, who were just there. I think they just invited themselves They over. did. They were there when Bob Geldof pitched it at the record studio. Yeah. Or they just happened to be there, and then they said they wanted in. Like, hey, let's, hey, we'll sing on this too. And Bob Sparrow was like, um, yeah, okay. They would have been a great solo. Oh, yeah. It would have been a great, like, there was missing solos in there. Although this works as is, the Cool and the Gang is, uh, you know, that's a bit of a missed opportunity. Yeah. 
So I'll, I'll go through and I'll, I'll just yeah. name sort of the bands yeah. that sing. Um, so yeah, Cool and the Gang. So uh, Robert Bell from Cool and the Gang, Bono, the Boomtown Rats, Ultravox is there, Phil Collins, uh, Banana Rama, Boy George, Glenn Gre- Gregory from Heaven Seventeen. Don't know them necessarily, but uh, they's a here's to you. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bando Ballet, uh, Duran Duran, uh, George Michael from Wham, uh, Marilyn, the guys from Status Quo. It said Duran Duran already, right? Uh, Sting from The Police. Yep. Jody Watley. Oh, yeah, Jody Watley's yeah. there. I can't believe they didn't use Jody Watley. I know, right? Oh, man, that was a big miss. Paul Weller and Paul Young. And then the musicians were Phil Collins, uh, John Taylor, and uh, Mid-Year. So for the instrumentation, you have, who is it, Simon Taylor? From Duran Duran? John Taylor. Okay, let me try. You have John Taylor from Duran Duran doing the bass, some of the bass, yeah. but Midjur is doing all the other instrumentation on yeah. his synths. That's yeah. that's all All, all the keyboards and programming, yeah. Everything. And then obviously uh, Papa Phil on the drums. Oh, yeah. People missing, just off the top of my head, Sade. Oh, would have been great. Yeah, that would have been fantastic. But if Shaw Day's on the song, all of a sudden it just becomes a sexy song. Oh my goodness, it'd be incredible. I know, right? Other people missing? Peter Gabriel this is a surprising yeah. hit to me. Because he's doing Womad. He's already really promoting inclusivity. That's rare. Yeah. And one other band was not asked to be there well, on purpose. Yeah, Queen. Yeah. Because they, they played South Africa earlier. Sun City. There was apartheid going on. So that's why Bob Geldof yeah. didn't invite uh, yeah. Queen to play. But then eventually during Live Aid, obviously, yeah. uh, Queen. And sort of. then Freddie Mercury sang along with this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a cover I do like. Just coming back to the covers. Okay. I like the Bare Naked Ladies cover of this. They do a cover? Of, I yeah. haven't heard this. On their, on their album, it's pretty good because it's okay. just the band. Yeah. And they focus on the song. And it actually works. So, kudos, Bare Naked Ladies Christmas album, which I really like as a Christmas album. Yeah. And okay. I have, I've made fun of the Bare Naked Ladies before. Mm-hmm. I think I have. I know I talked about one week, but I, they're a big part of my history. Gordon was a really good album. I can't, yeah. Yeah, we'll talk more about that as time goes on. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. There is a version of this in Glee. I yeah. can't stand it because they're smiling while they're singing the worst parts. <laughs> yeah, God has them instead of you is a big, bright grin. Yeah. There won't be snow in Africa this Christmas. All of them are smiling. Like, the bells no. of, or the chimes of doom? Yeah, they no. Smi- oh, jeez. No glee. Again, yeah. a big miss. Yeah. Now, in Daddy's Home 2, Will Ferrell <laughs> does sing this. And it kind of works. It's, uh, oh, no. you know, Mel Gibson's voice does lack something. It's not bassy. It's just deep and wrong i think yeah. but um it works and it really does undermine the whole entire song like i'm like okay i i, I get it i'll have to check that it's out. very enjoyable yeah so we should also talk about the fact that this song spawned uh, a, a bit of a movement in the, in the music industry with the sort of the the collaborative charity songs yeah there's the big one that comes next is We Are the World, yeah. which they do after the American Music Awards in 85. Yeah. Written by Lionel Richie, Michael Jackson. I think you and I agree. Yeah. The greatest one. Yeah. 
the the Canadian the Canadian one. Yeah, tears are not enough. Yeah, David Foster and Brian Adams. Yeah, I love that song. Oh, I know. I remember. Well, I mean, obviously, we have a a, a certain relationship with the song because it was what eighty five, eighty six when it came out. Eighty five, same year as yeah. We Are the World. Came out the same almost same time. So we're we're eight years old at the time. Yeah, and being Canadian, obviously, this was pushed on to us more so than than we are the world but i remember listening to this song in music class in elementary school and like just feeling how emotional it was at the time so that year do they know it's christmas wasn't really registering for us because like we're too young to yeah to kind of get this seven years old right yeah but we Are the World comes out, Tears Are Not Enough, and That's What Friends Are For. Yes. Three mega charity 45s. And I think of those 45s because they have them behind me in the, yeah. on my record player place there. And all of them are huge. Yeah. And That's What Friends Are For was huge in my household. I don't know. Like, I just I, heard it all the time. I love that song. Yeah. So, I mean. The good times, the bad times. I'll be on your side forevermore. That's exactly how it sounds. It's exactly how it sounds. <laughs> None of these exist without Do They Know It's Christmas. No. Yeah. So, Bob Geldof, Midjur, way to go. Yep. Okay, uh, question for you. What part are you singing along in the car? Even if you, I mean, you, you barely listen to this, but I can guess what part you're singing. What's What part would you sing along with? Probably if I'm singing along to it, it's... Uh... Uh, here's to you, raise a glass for everyone. Here's to them underneath the burning sun. It's like, do they know yeah. it's Christmas time at all? That's the place I'm singing. I'm singing along with the end where it's Feed the World. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I mean, I was going to ask you, if you were singing along with the end, would you sing Feed the World or would you sing Let Them Know It's Christmas Time? Like, I, I would assume you'd do one or the other. You wouldn't do both. I would actually do both. <laughs> You're like, singing all the parts. Feed the world. Let them know. Because yeah. I, I try and like yeah. do that off harmony. Yeah. yeah, and alter your voice for yeah. each one of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think I would sing Feed the World. I love it. I yeah. love singing along with that. Oh, it's so good. I may have been swayed. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh no. Great news. My next category. Which spot would you give to the following singers? So let's say we're <laughs> oh, this is gonna be you're going to do your own version of Do yeah. They Know It's Christmas. You are now Frank Jure, or we could say your name backwards, Knaf Jure. Knaf Jure. All right. Michael Bolton comes in. What part do you give him? Oh, absolutely. You, we give him the uh, Thank God is Them instead of you. Okay. Carly Rae Jepsen, what part do you give to her? Oh, that's a good one. How about this? At Christmas time, it's hard, but when you're having fun. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you another one. Okay. Celine Dion, what are you giving it to her? Oh, she just takes the course all by herself. All right. Mariah Carey. Oh. Would you give her the Boy George part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. yeah see, you've, you've thought about that. I know, I know. I'm starting to feed these to you. Well, that leads us to the mixtape. Uh, yep. So, what theme did you go with? Oh, man. My theme is Christmas songs that have a question mark in them. Okay. I also like that you wrote your mixtape inside of a church bulletin. I know. Don't tell Pastor Tab. I might have written this during the sermon. It was a good. It was still a good sermon. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. All right. I have What Child Is This? 
Okay. Do you hear what I hear? <laughs> and Mary, did you know? Now, what child is this will have to be someone contemporary. Yep. Do you hear what I hear? Definitely going to be contemporary. Or it's going to be the guy who did Frosty the Snowman. What's that guy's <laughs> name? Burl Ives. Burl Ives. <laughs> Maybe Burl Ives. But Mary, did you know, will definitely be Kenny Rogers and Winona. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. What child is this? Question mark. What child is this? And then they tell you what the child is this who lays to rest. Do you hear what I hear? And then, of course, Mary, did you know, with the question mark, is as our pastor, Pastor Mike, says, Mike V, who came on in the Semi-Charm Kind of Life episode, it is the mansplaining carol where people (laughs) keep asking Mary, do you know what you have in front of you? Actually, she's the only one who knows what's in front of her. All the rest of you are clueless. So that is my brief mixtape. Okay. Um, I'm going to cut a, a, a bunch of this out. I have, I have a number listed here, but these are, it, it, it's a, a bit of a downer. It's songs that are singing about poverty. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we'll, we'll start off with Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. Not a huge, huge fan of the song, but I mean... Obviously, the, the subject matter. Um, is this the world we created by Queen? Okay. Is that from the um, Highlander, Highlander sound? soundtrack? No, I don't think so. Okay. Mr. Wendell by Arrested Development. Great song. And uh, I am going to end this thing. Hands by Jewel. No, uh, no, I will not. Ex- <laughs> you will be putting Fast Car by Tracy Chapman on instead. It's on my list too, but I wanted yeah. to end it with Jewel. No, 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 no. We will not put hands on there. That is not. We do not. We can't put that out. on a mixtape. That's on my mixtape, not yours. Killing this. Oh man, Jewel. Yeah, maybe Jewel can start the beginning of it to kill our version. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jewel needs to be a part of this. So Spin Magazine in the 80s, just after this all came out, the song came out, started putting articles on about Ethiopia Mm -hmm. and being openly critical of Bob Geldof. Bob Geldof actually went to Ethiopia to see the distribution of what they were doing. He did not want to go, said a pop star should not be going to this, but they said, you need to go. You know, and and I can appreciate that because he knows he's out of his depth at that point, right? He's not a diplomat. He's he's not a politician. He doesn't, like, he's, he's raised this money, yes, but... Like, what does he know? He's not an expert in the field. He's not a historian either. And this is the sort of criticism. So Spin is saying, they asked him a lot of questions and they really dug into him and he gave some nasty responses to them. Oh, he's a crotchety old man, right? He is. But they did do some good work in sort of showing the world that the problem in Ethiopia wasn't just, oh, it's a really bad famine. It's like, no, it's the government. It is a government that's been supported in certain ways. It's the violence. And so they wrote, or whoever wrote the article said, but while the picture Geldof saw was one-sided, it had other dimensions. People are dying in Ethiopia because of starvation. But throwing money and food at the problem without consideration of the politics that is keeping people and food apart is inexcusable. To me, I don't know if it's inexcusable. He's doing his best. And for him, it's like, I need to do something. And so some of the spin articles are like implying that it's better to withhold aid just so instead of just giving and perpetuating the problem. For sure. When money went in, the government took advantage of it. Yeah. They did this sort of um, 
exchange rate that worked really well for the government and mm-hmm. that took away money and that they were able to prop things up. And there's all these things that happened. People were helped. Yep. But as they said in the Live Aid reflections, all the money that was like raised and it just gives like maybe a, a month of help. But there's so much that's needed. Yeah. What are we putting on a song that it's going to change geopolitical strife that that these rock stars who are barely out of high school yeah. are going to understand this? No. But the song still played every year. And every mm-hmm. year I think about this. And it does kind of move me to action of some sort, whether it's in my city or in the world. This has definitely been a complicated song. Lyrically, it's it's a little bit of a mess, I think, still. But it has done a lot of good. It really, truly, honestly has. I've struggled through this, and I, I'm coming out with it with a greater appreciation of this song. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> the last couple weeks of just doing research on it has also kind of given me an appreciation for the song. Listening to the other versions also gave me an appreciation of this very moment of the song. Yeah. Which which is something special. And they're by no means perfect. And so no. reading the biographies of some of the people involved did, didn't make things any better for me. It was a bad move on my part. But there's something to be said for being able to convince a whole bunch of people who may be self-centered yeah. to give up of their time, to give up of their Sunday morning, but also to give up of all their money and everything that could be owed to them to just do something for the world. Yeah. And they didn't know it would be so big. They they had a sense it could be big, but they didn't know. Now people know. But they came and just did the work. Yeah. And I got to give them credit for it. Well, th- they came in not knowing exactly what they were getting themselves into, right? Yeah. And it, it came into something. Yeah. It's moved the needle for me. I think I'm uh, more appreciative of the song now than I was an hour and a half ago when we when we started, or three hours ago, depending on w- what start we uh, were, we're going by. But we want to thank you for for listening to us talk about the song, and we hope that uh, that maybe you appreciate it now, maybe as much as I do. Uh, we want to thank you for listening to this episode, and you know, here's to you. Let's raise a glass to everyone. <laughs>